Welcome to Time Keeps on Ticking, MS Warrior and Mom Life. Cindy Locke was diagnosed with recurring remitting multiple sclerosis in 2006. Listen in on her journey to make the most of her time with her daughter and son. News, interviews, events, and MS hacks from an MS ambassador. Now, let's get started. Here is your host, Cindy Locke. Hey, MS family. It's Cindy Locke here. I hope your day is going well. I had a great conversation with Dr. Adam Catlin. Asked him questions regarding depression with MS. And along with being very brilliant, he's very funny as well. I must warn all of you, I was very sick when I did this interview. So my voice is really, really scratchy. But I had to take the opportunity to talk to him when I could. He's a very busy man. Also, we were trying a new method of recording over the phone through a program that I had never used. So it's kind of dicey here and there. Just uh, know that I'm getting better and better with each podcast. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Here's the 411 on Dr. Kaplan. Dr. Kaplan is on the board of medical advisors to the Montel Williams MS Foundation, Cody Unser First Step Foundation, Nancy Davis MS Foundation and Center Without Walls, and Johns Hopkins Multiple Sclerosis and Transverse Myelitis Centers Project Restore. He's also a medical advisor to Remedy Health Media, Anthronics Inc., and Rivon Systems. He has presented his work through published articles in premier scientific journals through talks and seminars at national and international conferences. He completed his undergraduate training at Yale University and is M. And PhD training at the Johns Hopkins School of Medicine, where he is the assistant professor in the Department of Psychiatry, Division of Neuropsychiatry. And he's very vocal with depression and MS, and I appreciate that about him. He actually was somebody that helped me a great deal years ago when I was really, really, really feeling low with my MS. So you'll hear all about that in our conversation. And that's about it. Here's Dr. Adam Kaplan. Miss Locke, it's so good to hear you. So great to hear you too. You were the one that actually diagnosed me years ago with clinical depression and getting to know you over all of these years. I know you are very knowledgeable and how much you are dedicated to helping those of us with depression and MS and also other people with depression, of course. I wanted to introduce you to our MS Warrior community. I'm so happy to have you here and would love to ask you some questions and get some advice from you for our listeners. So word on the street is the suicide rate with MS is double the amount of suicide without MS. Is that true? You know, it's interesting you say that because we have some fresh new data hot off the presses regarding MS in general. Just recently, there was a new count that was done. The number of people with MS was estimated based on data that was from the 70s and people were saying 400,000. So a set of three papers just got published and they showed it's closer to a million people in the United States, which is what we all knew. It was significantly higher. But just to put that into perspective, I did a back of the napkin calculation and um, that works out close to one in 200 women. So it is far higher than what we realized before. And that puts it, uh, this is no longer a rare disease anymore than ADHD is a rare disease or type one diabetes is a rare disease. So it turns out this MS is a major issue. It should be funded far more than it is. But having said all of that, you were asking about suicide and yes, MS has the highest rate of depression of any medical, neurological or surgical disease. And the depression drives the most lethal and worst possible outcome of the depression is suicide. And yeah, it's at least twice the general population. It's the third leading cause of death according to the largest study that was done that followed this across the lifespan. And 
for people without MS, it's the 10th leading cause of death. So it's significantly higher. Wow. Yeah. I remember when I met with you, I was like uh, pretty much on the verge of giving up. And I was just like, I just can't, I just can't do this. You really helped me by suggesting the proper medication and, and talking to you and doing that and changing my medication really saved my life. And I, I thank you for that. And also Nancy Davis from the Erase MS Foundation and uh, Liz also, they introduced me to you because they saw me struggling and said they really thought I should talk to you and that you would help me if you were willing to talk to me and you were willing to talk to me so I was so lucky you pretty much saved me as I told you before so I really appreciate well, that oh my god Cindy I mean I couldn't be happier than and it, you're giving me far more credit than I deserve but I will tell no, you no no I'm not I'm not I'm not I'm serious <laughs> I'm not kidding I am not kidding you I was I was ready you don't even know and I and of course you know you think about your kids and everything but when I was at that the, that stage of chronic depression I didn't yeah. even, I thought it was much better for them if I wasn't there suicide being in the news a lot you know recently yeah. i think maybe help some people understand that it's not you know something that is selfish when you're that confused in your mind that you think people will be so much better without you you know then yeah. you know it's it's different from you know oh i can't do this anymore i'm just done you're not thinking about anybody else it's not that right absolutely and you know you described the key aspects of it cindy so well one of the key aspects and and when i say you give me too much credit what i mean is you decided to open up to me you decided to talk to a doctor you decided to get the help so that's the key part because you didn't have to do that and then you decided that you would believe me when i told you that this is just the symptom of an illness this depression having suicidal thoughts are one of the nine cardinal symptoms main symptoms of depression and what's horrible about depression and again you describe it brilliantly which is it actually changes the way people think about the world. And 80% of people who have severe depression will have suicidal thoughts. And it's because emotionally it takes you to a place. We'd all get to a place eventually if we couldn't move and we were covered with boils and in pain like Job and the Bible. And we'd all get to a place where we would, or most of us, where we'd say, I wouldn't want to go on. And the problem with depression is it makes you feel emotionally like you're there and it robs you of the cognitive ability to recognize the difference between where you are really and that place. And thank God you're living example. We, you know, you wouldn't be doing this. You wouldn't be getting the word out. And by the way, saving lives by having people hear about you not doing that and now coming back and making a huge difference and, you know, being there for your kids and being there for yourself. I mean, I can only tell you what you're doing now is truly the kind of thing that gives people hope. You know, you actually would be part of the reason why this is happening right now. <laughs> you know, if you really think about it, it's a direct yeah. connection between you yeah. too. So, you know, absolutely. So I'm proud. You should be because you're awesome. Um, yeah, so, and very funny too. And I know you're not showing your comedic <laughs> front right now, but you're freaking hilarious. Um, okay. So can you tell us about the nine symptoms you use to determine depression and MS or chronic yeah. depression? No, that's great. That's great for us to just, um, you know, so people can understand. So you have to have five of nine symptoms for greater than two weeks in order to make the diagnosis according to the Diagnostic and Statistics manual, the DSM-5 of psychiatry. And uh, those symptoms are trouble with sleep. And it's usually early morning awakenings because a lot of us have trouble falling asleep because we're anxious and insomnia is common. But when you wake up early in the morning and can't get back to sleep, that's a product of actually shifting your sleep architecture. So depression is a biological disease and it changes the way you sleep. In fact, you have what's called early REM, uh, decreased REM latency, which means you go right into dreaming early in the night. And normally dreaming happens after 
after you go into a deep sleep early in the night. So you don't get restful sleep and you wake up early. Uh, so decrease sleep, decrease interest. So your get up and go has gotten up and gone. Uh, what you used to enjoy and found pleasurable is no longer pleasurable. And a lot of times people just sort of hunker down and, you know, the time that they really need to reach out and get help from their friends, they just feel like they don't want to do anything. Uh, then feelings of guilt or worthlessness is the third symptom. And that's what prevents people from getting help. And again, you overcame that. And you told Nancy, she knew what was going on. She put us and Liz and she, they put us together so we could have a conversation. So, but that guilt is what really weighs on people. Cause uh, a lot of times, you know, when you have MS, you feel like you're not doing enough and you're not doing your rehab and now, yeah, you know, sure. and you can't do that when you're depressed and it only adds and compounds. So loss of energy is the fourth symptom, which is just like the fatigue you get from MS and it's hard right. to tell those who apart. Yeah, I was going to say, how do you tell that apart yeah. from actual? That's a great question. It's a great question. We can get into that. Um, low mood and that's sadness. Um, but remember, that's just one symptom and you don't have to have that. So people often think, oh, depression means I'm sad, but it's not always the case. So concentration problems, appetite changes where either you eat more because you just don't get, you don't have the normal satiety it's called. You don't get to the point that you're like, yes, that was really good and I'm full. So you keep yeah, you eating, were, hoping to get that fullness. You were about to cook up a steak for me when I was with you. You were like, you're so skinny. You're about to cook up a steak for me and some burgers or something, cheeseburger or something. You, look, you lost a lot of weight. So that's the other thing, which is- I know I did because I- taste. Bad. And people it's, stop eating. Yep, yeah. yep, can't taste. Anyway, uh, that's a whole nother topic. <laughs> yeah. Then uh, the last two symptoms are what's called psychomotor retardation, which means you're not your normal bubbly self, however bubbly you normally are, but your loved ones can usually tell. Um, even though strangers, you know, people fake it, and uh, you can fake it like the best of them, Cindy, but uh, and keep going, and you were doing your job full time and all this, despite all of this. And then the last one is thoughts of death or suicide. So that's, again, as we talked about one of the nine symptoms, you have to have at least five of nine, one of which must be decreased interest or decreased mood. The more symptoms you have, the more likely you are to, to respond to treatment. And so, you know, it's easy to say those things. It's harder when you don't have the experience of treating people and seeing how they look different in women than men, MS patients than non-MS patients. So if you think that, gee, some of those symptoms sound familiar, especially if one of them is thought of hopelessness or death, then you really should go to a doctor or a psychologist, someone who has uh, experience in treating depression and uh, get checked. Yeah, definitely. I, I knew right away I, I needed to talk to somebody, but I just didn't know who. And luckily they found the answer and allowed me to meet with you. But one of the critical things, and I hope I've convinced you of this by now, is that it's not weakness. It's not a personal flaw or inability to overcome. Because if anybody could have just willed their way out of it, Cindy, you would have. You're, you know, you've reinvented yourself more times so than, than people that I, you know, if people <laughs> knew all of the things you've done in your life and how successful a businesswoman you are. It's amazing. But um, so it is the MS, it's the inflammation that causes this. So it's really not different than dragging a leg or double vision. This is a set of symptoms because mm -hmm. the thermostat in the brain that controls your mood, it gets stuck and you get depressed and it's just part of the illness. How do I know that? Well, we have uh, data now that says if you block the inflammation and the first treatment that was able to do that was Tysabri really block 
blocks the immune system. Oh my, I loved Tysabra. Yeah, that's the first treatment that really blocked inflammation. And for people who are depressed with MS, it's a potent antidepressant. So there's nothing that proves to me more that it's due to the inflammation is if you block the inflammation and the depression gets better. The other thing to know, though, is that it's important. It's the number one correlate of quality of life for people with MS is not whether they're in a wheelchair or not. It's whether they have a depression or not. And that makes sense because if people are willing to throw their life away and there's a 30% thought of, you know, suicide, a 10% suicide attempt uh, across the lifespan of people with MS. And if you're willing to throw everything away, then obviously nothing's more important. It's the number one correlate of quality of life for your loved ones. So if you're not going to do it for yourself, do it for the people who care about you and live with you. And it's also the most treatable part of MS because it's very hard to treat right. the other stuff. But, you know, look at you. You're 100% back to your old self in terms of the depression. And that's wonderful. Okay, but so, wait, wait. I have to interject something here. So at please. the beginning of our conversation, you said that most doctors don't tell you the good things of you know, your illness or your, or your diagnosis. But from the time I met you, you did that. Just like you're doing right now, you you didn't, weren't like, well, sorry, wah wah wah, you have MS, oh, you know, <laughs> you're gonna be depressed, you're gonna be depressed, you're, you're not gonna live, you're, you know, a good life. Oh, but you weren't like that. You were like positive, just like you you are in this conversation. And you're exactly right. The doctor should be that way. And like you said, you know, it's the, the depression that'll get you. And I mean, having yeah. MS myself for 13 years and being diagnosed with amazing. chronic depression, I could say that the disease needs to be close to the top of the list that neurologists need to talk about when a patient is diagnosed like the first day i mean I, I was not told anything you know that i may end up thinking it would be easier for everyone if i could just end my life and i wouldn't be here anymore and be a burden i was told about the medication and not even the freaking complete mental effects of the medication you know yeah. and i think it's necessary that doctors neurologists put that at the top of the list and say you know yes you're gonna you know have numbness blah, 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 but we really need to keep an eye on your you know your mental self you know it's just it needs to be done but i don't know how there's no books you can update or no files you can update and i don't how many doctors are across the United States, but I mean, how do you do that? You can't send like a messenger pigeon or something, you know, or whatever. <laughs> Well, you're being a messenger you know, you, pigeon. I mean, uh, you're yeah. getting the word out. And yeah, but one, is, a, do is a doctor, I mean, do we know for sure a doctor is going to listen to this? You know what I mean? So I don't know. There's got to be something that we could make them know how important it is. It's so important. Yeah, um, right. So you're preaching to the uh, choir here. I couldn't agree <laughs> with you more, Cindy. And what's really important as well is that, you know, we talked about how MS causes depression, but what we didn't talk about is depression is a risk factor for MS, just like low vitamin D is a risk factor. It doesn't mean it causes it. Not everybody with low vitamin D gets MS, but depression is a risk factor. In fact, not just for MS, we now know depression is a risk factor for getting Crohn's disease, rheumatoid arthritis, and lupus. And the reason why that is, is depression is one of the most chronically stressful conditions you can have. I mean, just all the time thinking life's not worth it and beating yourself up. And the stress hormone is cortisol. Well, cortisol is the stress hormone is also, if you ask a, a neuroimmunologist, what you'd say is that a cortisol is what you use uh, to slow the immune system down. It's the break of the immune system. So it's the same thing as the solumedrol and the dexamethasone. Mm -hmm. And so really, if you're riding the emergency break of the immune system all the time, and then you get something, you know, like Epstein-Barr virus, and then your immune system gets activated, then you go to pull the emergency break and it doesn't work.
Does that make sense? It definitely does, yeah. But if people are going to get depressed and that's one of the causes, then those people are going to be depressed with the time that, that they are being diagnosed. And so so you're absolutely right. Neurologists and all the people involved in the care of patients with MS, this is uh, one of the lethal parts of it and it really needs to be addressed. And I couldn't agree with you more. But again, what you're doing is you're letting people know. And sometimes patients have to be more educated than their doctors. And right, you know, right. when people hear this, they'll go to their doctor and say, hey, you know, I heard depression is part of this. I'm really worried that I have it or can, you know, can I get screened and then they'll save their own life. Well, I mean, I, I didn't have depression at the beginning. You know, I, I wasn't so far gone but at the beginning of my, my MS. I didn't know I had it when I was diagnosed. So, um, so like maybe it's the follow-up, the six month or maybe, the, you know, the year follow-up. That could be when they say, you know, how are you feeling mentally? You know, maybe then that's when they can really get into it and ask, you know, that question. They're so quick to get you in and out. And, out. and so, you know, it's, it's hard to try to get them to add that to their menu of questions. Yeah, and I agree. I agree. I agree. But, you know, it's kind of interesting. I, I think you're bringing up a great point, which is to say that, you know, people with ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease, they usually get screened for depression. And when I talk to my colleague and who, you know, um, Nick Marigakis runs the uh, ALS center at Hopkins, I said, you know, you guys are so much better about screening for that and providing support for the family. He said, yeah, but I trade with you guys at MS any day. I said, what do you mean? He said, we have no effective treatments for ALS. You guys have 16 mm. and counting for MS. And because they have no, you know, so a lot of the right. time the, the, the neurologists are spending, you know, their time trying to help decide on what medicine. So I'm not saying it's easy. I'm just saying it's such an important thing that needs to be taken into account. Well, it's also been 20 years of trying to get an MS medication. How long have they been trying to get ALS medication? And, you know, you said the positive side. The other thing I'll tell you that's so interesting, and I wouldn't wish MS on my worst enemy. However, having said that, when we've done studies, What's really shocking is that 30% of people with MS say it made them demoralized. And remember, about 25% of people at any given time, like in the doctor's office, sitting, waiting to be seen, 25% people with MS have depression, which is compared to 5% of the general population, 50% across a lifetime, but 25% at any given time. But what's really um, dramatic is that those people who have it are going to report that 30% of them are demoralized, probably because a lot of the are the 25% are depressed, but 70% say they have gotten something from the MS that made their life better. And that sounds crazy, but people say that they've gotten a better appreciation for each day and how valuable it is. They've gotten closer to the people who they really uh, can count on, their family. Um, they spend more time with their kids. So it's a, it's a terrible illness, but you know, it's not just what happens to you, it's how you adapt to it. So people like you, you know, take a licking and keep on taking and you, now you're doing this podcast. You're so it's funny. amazing. You're it's so amazing. funny. Uh, you had mentioned the anti-inflammatories. There was a study out of Emory, I know you had mentioned before, looking at using TNF-alpha inhibitors for depression. What happened with that? Wow. Know anything about that? That was a couple of years ago. Yeah, no, I know it. You are, you know, I should tell you, you're asking more sophisticated questions than I get asked by scientists and other doctors when I get talks to the residents they don't know this stuff so my goodness <laughs> right so they were looking at 
TNF alpha uh, into people who had depression because that's a treatment that's used for rheumatoid arthritis. The problem is that, and they're kicking themselves for doing this, they just randomize people to either TNF alpha inhibitors. TNF alpha is one of the messengers uh, of the immune system, like neurotransmitters or what neurons talk, talk to each other with, cytokines like TNF alpha or what immune cells talk to each other with. And so um, TNF-alpha inhibitors bring down inflammation. And what they're kicking themselves for is they did this randomized double-blind study and they didn't see an effect. But then when they went back and they looked at only those people with depression who had some level of inflammation, meaning their C-reactive protein or CRP, it's just a measure of inflammation, was up a bit. Not as much inflammation as with MS, but these patients with depression had elevated levels of, you know, moderately elevated levels. And those are the ones that did respond to TNF-alpha inhibitor. But in the, the way its studies are done, you can't go back and cherry pick. So it's going to take someone doing a study again uh, in a randomized way. It's amazing you know about that study. I tried to do my research, get some good questions. Amazing. For you. So, so yeah, no, that's a great question. Good. Is there anything else you want to share with the audience on my MS support groups? I can't tell you how many people ask about depression. I mean, there's sure. so many. So, right. Is there anything you can say to them when they're like, "What do I do? I just I can't do this anymore." What can you say to them to, to give them hope? Well, so the first thing to realize is it's not their fault. It's part of the MS. It's one one of the more common things that happen to people. Just like weakness, numbness, tingling, pain, bowel bladder dysfunction. These are all things that happen commonly to MS. Depression is one of those things. One in two people will get it. So realize it's just a part of the illness, even though you feel like terrible for being depressed, just you got to think about it. This is what happens when people get the flu, they feel depressed. They want to, they feel horrible. They want to get into bed and they know that they say, oh, well, I feel sick because I've got this flu, but people forget the MS causes the same kind of thing, um, causes this depression. So that's number one. Number two, they have to realize that they have to get help just like they have to get help for other symptoms of their MS, double vision, pain, those kinds of things, neuropathic pain. And the important thing, and you brought this up a minute ago with that TNF alpha uh, experiment, that was for people who had depression without an autoimmune disease. And so what's really interesting and important to realize is that depression itself for many different people, there's different ways of getting depressed, but many people with depression have it because they have a low-grade inflammation. How do we know that? How can I say that? Well, it turns out every single antidepressant that we've tested has anti-inflammatory properties and neuroprotective properties. So in a double-blind study of an SSRI, a serotonin selective reuptake inhibitors is the class of antidepressant. For people with MS who were uh, not depressed, those people who took the SSRI um, and it was a double-blind study, had fewer lesions in their brain. So it turns out these medicines are good for your MS, in addition for the fact that depression is bad for your MS, and if you treat the depression, that's good for your MS too. So the important thing is to realize, you know, do it for yourself, do it for your MS, do it for your family, get treated, it's treatable. I, I, I don't understand, because from, from the very beginning, depression was like among the first symptoms associated with MS, right? So yep. I, I just don't understand why it's not one of the first things brought up. I don't know what we'll have to do to, to get it to come to the forefront. I know I'm, yeah. you're, fighting this, you're fighting this fight. No, I think what you're saying is so important, and you know, I agree. And when you say it, I kind of feel like I'm 
not doing my job because I are trying no, you to are. get the word out. <laughs> you are. But, you're like the, you're, but but you're the only person I've seen talking about depression and MS. I don't. I mean, maybe it's just because I just spot your name somewhere, but I can't think of anybody else in the world in the world of MS that focuses on this so much. You know. Well. I, I do have to tell you, it's because I'm a loud mouth and I just talk all the time. No, actually, what you're talking about is really one of the biggest problems in medicine, is actually what you're pointing at, which is one of the biggest problems in medicine in general is we don't collaborate. Believe it or not, insurance has traditionally not paid a cent for two different doctors to talk to each other about the patient. Don't which even is talk horrible. to me about insurance. I don't even want to talk about insurance. Oh my God. Uh, right. So it's terrible. Uh, I agree. So the problem is that for some reason, I think it's just that most neurologists and psychiatrists haven't been able to play in the sandbox well together so that I just have not seen many people. There are a couple of phenomenal uh, neuropsychiatrists in Canada that I know, and I'm sure that there is some in this country, but I just don't know of any, at least on the East Coast, who specialized neuropsychiatrists that specialized in MS. So I think you're right. I think if more people went into it, we could get the word out more. I think it's the most incredibly rewarding thing. You get to work with phenomenal people like Cindy Locke, uh, <laughs> who are out there changing the world oh, through a podcast. Oh, and <laughs> hey, you said nice things that were true about me. I can say nice things that are true oh. about you. And so, you know, I do think it's important to get the word out. I think people are beginning to catch up. My hope is that the more we can dispel the stigma around mental illness, and if we can publish this paper this year and show that it's just another part of the MS, it's due to the inflammation, then I think neurologists will start to uh, start screening for it. But I agree with you, it's part of the illness. I, I have no good explanation for why they don't screen for it. But What? I thought you had the answer for everything. Yes, I, I pretend I thought to you, sometimes. No, I no, thought you knew everything. Well, the truth is, and don't tell anybody this, this is just between me and you and mm. however many people are listening. But mm. the truth is, doctors, if we know anything uh, that's really useful, we know because you guys teach us, you know? So you come to us with a problem and then we sort of say, gee, that's a good question. I don't know how to solve it. Then we ask somebody else, what do you do about this? And we're like, oh, okay. And now you learned the answer. Much of what we learned, we learned from, you know, just being involved in the care and hearing from you guys what works. The, so, the other 35, 30% of it, we learned from studies, but 70%, there are no studies. We just, you know, you guys come and tell us the answers. So one good thing that I just thought of when you were saying that is that we should tell everybody that has MS, like anybody I talk to, I should say, let's talk to a neurologist, you know, and tell them how you're feeling. And then, yep. you know, the patients, like you said, are vocal about it, more vocal and, you know, maybe it'll, it'll eventually get through. hundred percent. And that's what this is. That's what you're putting me on the air with your podcast. And that's how this happens. That's how we no. get the word out. But really, Cindy, the fact that you're even willing to tell people and go on record, I mean, that's the thing. People don't hear, so they only think, you know, they just hear about like some person who kills themselves and like, oh, well, that person was crazy. But, oh, but then when they hear about someone who's so successful like you are, and they're like, oh, she had depression and she got through it. And, you know, that's just part of the disease. I'm telling you, just Good. coming out of the closet and willing to say that this is something, this is a part of the illness, it's huge. It is, it's huge. Well, it's huge that you're there to help us too. I, I really appreciate it. And I know everybody else does too. It's incredible to have you on our team.
team. You know, I'm a huge uh, fan. I think we have a mutual admiration club thing going, so it's yeah. all good. Well, thank you so much for your time, and I really appreciate it so My much. My pleasure. And I really appreciate you getting the word out. Keep us all posted on any new news yes, uh, we'll on do. depression and anything else you publish. Absolutely. It's good to me. I think it's gone. I think my voice is gone. <laughs> okay. Go rest your voice and uh, stay in touch. I'll talk to you later, okay? Okay, bye, Cindy. Bye. Thank you for listening, everybody. And until next time, take care of yourself and keep keeping on, warriors.